Hello and welcome to the first podcast in a series called The Journey of the Wounded Heart. My name is Jeff Leva and I'm going to be your host. This podcast is actually titled Entering In. I am fascinated by the topic and idea of entering in. Just using our imagination for just a moment, close your eyes if you're not driving or walking down a busy street, of course, and imagine all the things that we often enter into like being transported through time from one movie scene into another. You can be on a fishing boat or a cruise ship and enjoy calm seas and all of a sudden you enter into stormy sea. You could be driving a car perhaps down Route 66 in California and experiencing sunny fair weather and all of a sudden you enter into a fog bank and you cannot see anything around you. Entering into a whole new reality and oftentimes an unexpected reality. Or how about a more personal and emotional example, like entering into a large room full of people, like at the company Christmas party. Have you ever done that before? Everyone is dressed to impress. They have selected the perfect date, the perfect dress, and the shoes to match, a perfect purse, their hair is done, a perfect tuxedo, all so that they can paint an image of a perfect life, even if it's only a fleeting hope of a life once dreamed. They're not dare going to show you anything different. You can see all the glances in your direction as silent judgment is passed from one phony smile and nod to another. A judgment that ranges from the clothes that you have on or the clothes that you do not have, depending on the name brand, to the person that is by your side. What do they look like? How do you look together? Or perhaps you're flying solo for the night. Why don't you have a date? All of these things swirling around your head. Or how about entering into a homeroom classroom from the sixth or seventh grade? How about all of those piercing eyes and looks of dismissal or rejection? Do you remember that scene? Scanning all those faces, trying to find a safe place, a person to sit next to, somebody that looked accepting and friendly? These type of scenarios are perfect opportunities for the enemy, Satan, to plant and twist messages into our hearts and minds. We must be conscious of the ploy and tactics at play here. Social sheddings should be looked at more from the reality of a battlefield than a ballroom dance hall or a Sunday school classroom. The spiritual reality is much more intense than what our physical eyes are seeing. We all enter into places and or times and seasons of life when we are susceptible to taking deep wounds. And I don't mean the physical wounds that one can be inflicted on, let's say a battlefield, although that applies as well. Those too can translate into wounds of the heart at some point, if they're not dealt with. In fact, most people would probably rather be inflicted with a physical wound because they are more confident and comfortable in dealing with physical wounds than they are in dealing with hidden wounds of the heart. Let's face it, men for an example in particular find it very hard to express feelings, emotions, or even to delve into the realm of of inner healing at all. So all this comes at no surprise, but it does come at a cost and oftentimes at an enormous one. How many marriages have ended in divorce because the husband 
was shut down and emotionally unavailable for one reason or another. So much so that while physically the husband may have been present, emotionally they were absent, distant, and disengaged from their wives and their kids, causing loved ones to internalize all of these messages as a personal rejection of some sort. All wounds being taken in their hearts, and if undiscovered and not dealt with, will have a lasting, lasting negative impact on them and those around them for years to come. And it's not just the men, it's all of us walking around in these imperfect earth suits that take constant assaults on our hearts, some large and some small. Proverbs 4.23 says it best, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it the springs or issues of life flow. So learning to guard one's heart is sometimes hard to put in practical terms, but here's one way to think about it. Notice the second part of this verse that says, and above all that you guard. The truth is we guard a lot of things in our life. Like guys, for example, maybe guard the TV remote against the kids or their wives as they partake in endless consumption of sporting events. Eh, kind of not that important, maybe a little trivial, but really we guard things that are important to us. And Proverbs 4.23 is telling us that guarding our heart is more important for the successful outcome of our lives than anything else. People guard their 401k or stock portfolios, for example, or other assets because they see these things as valuable or even as a necessity to their lives. Parents guard their kids from harm by providing them with a safe home, food, medical care, and even sometimes a Rottweiler named Killer. I bet there's a few out there that bet. Armed guards stand watch over bank vaults to protect the valuables stored inside. Even to all these things, the most important thing that we can guard is our heart. Again, this may be a new concept for many, but if we use the just mentioned examples, it will help us to understand practical ways that we can successfully guard our heart against the flaming arrows that are sure to come. To do so, it is vital to know what to guard our hearts from. This is a deep and vast topic and one worth exploring. So this list won't be exhaustive, but it will get us started. First, we should be aware of conversations and events, especially our interactions with family or other people as a primary access point into our life. We have all heard, I hope at least, the old schoolyard adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Unfortunately, this is what many of us come to believe, or at least were taught, but it could not be further from the truth. Like we discussed earlier, physical wounds such as burns, sprains, broken bones, and even to the more serious physical conditions like strokes and heart attacks and cancers are commonly addressed, while wounds and trauma to the soul are often dismissed and unaddressed. We often dismiss the wounds of the heart with comments and attitudes like, oh well, that's just life, or life sucks, just deal with it never really taking these things very seriously. Or maybe it's just we don't know that they can be dealt with. Sadly, when people do try to acknowledge emotional issues and trauma, it is done by a worldly 
humanistic approach that is more about coping and accepting things than it is about Jesus and true inner healing. Jesus came to set us free, not for us to cope. Topping my list of ways that we can guard our hearts is to pay attention to words and thoughts. When we are having a conversation with somebody, we need to pay attention to how that conversation makes us feel. Did you perhaps at some point encounter a sudden shift in your heart or attitude? If so, make a mental note of that part of the conversation so you can evaluate this encounter and why it made you feel the way that it did. People too, too often disregard their own feelings and emotions and let things linger. This can be a bigger issue than people realize if it's not dealt with. It's really easy to just think to yourself, well, that comment was rude or that person was rude and you just go on about your business. But depending on what was said and the relationship this person has with you, those negative words spoken can have a deeply, have a deep impact on your emotional and spiritual well-being. Something also important to know about all of this is that just like a TV or a computer or a car engine, there is a way that things work in this world. And the same is true about spiritual things. There is a way that things work or operate both in the earth and in the spirit realm. The Bible is full of stories, lessons, and teachings that are at least in part there to show us how the kingdom of God works. Just like a car or a TV has an operating manual, the Bible is our operating manual of how the Christian life works here on earth as well in the spirit world. We have to keep in mind that there are two different dimensions going on here. We have a physical body. We have a spirit that is in that physical body that is eternal and that operates in the spirit world. So the more we know and understand how the kingdom of God works, the better off we will be at guarding and managing our hearts. Remember ever hearing this phrase, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? This is actually the first part of Hosea 4, 6. The entire verse is a little bit more ominous in its full version, but it does make the point here that there is knowledge to be had. Again, the focus here for now is on words and thoughts. One of my favorite Bible teachers says it best, the principles of God are voice activated. This means that essentially thoughts become words and words are then used to create and bring about the reality that we want to see. Now there are some guidelines here. You can't just think about a Maserati and say, I have a Maserati and then a Maserati is in the garage. This has to be a faith thing spirit-led thing. More on this later, but there are a ton of scripture that show the importance of words and thoughts. To see God himself operating in this principle, just take a stroll through the first few pages of the book of Genesis. Remember all of those then God said statements? Then God said this and God said that? Speaking words is the way that God himself created the very heavens and the earth that we inhabit and we are made in the image of God. So it should not come as much of a surprise that we were created to operate in the same way. One way, that, one way that I gauge the impact of a conversation, good or bad, is by how long it stays with me. Meaning if it bothered me, I begin to ask myself, 
How much time am I spending thinking about this conversation that I just had? It seems to persist and persist and persist. The answer to that question is a great clue on just how deeply its impact was on me. Then to properly guard my heart, I need to take that conversation to Jesus and allow his spirit to shed some light on the issue. If you allow that negative word or conversation to replay over and over in your mind, that will only drive those negative seeds deeper and deeper into your heart. So the sooner we take these things to Jesus by prayer, the sooner we can effectively move on and release that burden and walk in freedom. We have to remember too that entering in is not just about people, conversations, events, and words. It's about entering into our personal promised land and establishing God's kingdom. That is what the enemy wants to stop. He merely uses these other things as part of his overall plan, evil scheme, and tactics to sidetrack and derail us. Here is one example from my own life on how the enemy can and will use thoughts against us in order to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. I had given my life to Jesus back in the early 20, my early 20s, or sorry, late 20s. Actually, I was 27 years old. Like most of us, I had a group of friends that I hung around with. So let's just say they were more than acquainted with the old villain named Jeff. They knew I had a problem with drugs and alcohol. They knew that I had issues with my temper and was prone to starting and even finishing fights. In short, they knew the worst that I had to offer. After getting born again, there was a time in my life that God was doing a deep work in my heart and in my life in general. And actually, God separated me from my group of friends for a period of time. There was a series of events that just, you know, not bad events, just I kind of went my own way pursuing God and um, there was just a period of time there. So during this time and season of my life, God supernaturally delivered me from all forms of drug and alcohol use, which if you knew me back then, you would know and agree that only God could accomplish that feat. God had totally transformed my life in many regards. And while I obviously was not perfect, as we will never be, I also was not the same person that my friends grew up with. The old Jeff had died and was passing away. Transformation can take a while. Like a butterfly who is sentenced to a cocoon for a period of time, he is actually going through a beautiful metamorphosis. The same is true for you and I as we live out the becoming of being a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure of the exact time or amount of time passed, but I believe it was at least a couple of years since my old running buddies and I had seen each other. And so one day we all got together for dinner and during our meal I was able to share many of my testimonies of what God had been doing in my life over the last couple of years, especially about being delivered from drugs and alcohol use and abuse. I was supernaturally delivered and haven't had a desire for drugs or alcohol for 20 plus years now. So it was a truly supernatural experience and I was able to share it in pretty good detail. It was such an awesome time. I could see their faces light up and their expressions of pure joy and amazement 
as I shared story after story with them. During this time, I kept sensing in my heart that God wanted me to leave one of my friends in a salvation prayer to receive Jesus. While we were all talking, I was having this silent conversation with God about my friend and what I felt he was leading me to do. I was getting nervous about sharing Jesus and praying with him on an individual basis. So I was trying to sort out how this would work out. I wasn't really used to praying for people and leading them in a salvation prayer. I mean, I couldn't do it at the restaurant table with all my friends there. I wasn't comfortable with that and I knew he wouldn't be either. So God would have to arrange things in some other way. Sure enough, as the evening winded down and we all were parting ways, I and my friend ended up leaving together. The cherry on top was that we were also parked next to each other in the parking lot. So this had to be a divine setup of some kind. So we started to talk a little bit more and then I could sense so strongly that it was my time to speak up and ask my friend if he wanted to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Kind of like ocean waves that continue to return to the shoreline back and forth. Strong thoughts and impressions just kept coming to my heart and mind to ask if he wanted to pray and receive Jesus. While I knew that God was prompting me to speak up, I was also fighting an internal battle of intense negative thoughts and feelings. While the Spirit of God was indeed willing, my flesh and soul was succumbing to the brutal onslaught of negative thoughts, so much so that I eventually caved into the fear and let the opportunity to lead my friend in prayer to receive Jesus slip through my hands. We ended up shaking hands, we gave each other a great big hug, and said our goodbyes. As I sat in my car, I could feel my heart and spirit grieve deeply, but also a sense of overwhelming guilt flooded my mind. It's important to note here, too, that God himself is not into shaming or putting guilt on his children. Rather, these are manifestations of the flesh and manifestations of an unrenewed mind. At this point in my life, I did, didn't know any better so I allowed the, the guilt and the shame of this personal failure and missed opportunity to overtake me. In fact, God's word is pretty clear about guilt, shame, and condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This became a wound in my heart of sorts because I did allow the guilt and shame to fester and remain in my life. Now, we're not responsible necessarily for people's salvation. God is bigger than my mistakes, but you know, I assumed that these feelings and thoughts were just a normal part of life, so I allowed them. Even the Christian life, I thought it was normal. I had no idea that God did not communicate to his children using guilt and shame. Perhaps this is new news to you as well. If so, please hear this again. God does not use guilt, shame, or condemnation to speak or guide his children into truth or correction. Those negative thoughts and emotions 
or excuse me, those are negative thoughts and emotions that the enemy uses in attempt to guide Christians into places of withdrawal and regret, with the ultimate intent to take us out in terms of advancing the kingdom of Jesus. So as we discussed earlier, and as Proverbs 4.23 exhorts us, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the spring and or issues of life. We are called not just to live a victorious Christian life, but we're also called to advance the kingdom of God. So let us be wise and discerning and watch after our hearts like our lives and other lives depend on it. If we will keep this in mind, I believe we will truly advance the kingdom of God and see great victories and live a blessed life, a fulfilled life. Well, thank you so very much. I think we have covered, excuse me, covered a lot of information in this podcast. I'd like to keep these short, keep you engaged. So I think we will end it here. I'd like to take this time to thank you uh, for taking your time out to listen. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Revealing Jesus podcast. Please come back and be looking for the next addition to the Journey of the Wounded Heart series. And once again, thank you so very much. God bless you. And as always, journey on.